When I met Marcelo, was running the largest Hispanic-owned company in the United States called Brightstar. Six months later, he sold his company for over a billion dollars to SoftBank, and Marcelo was then appointed as the CEO of Sprint. He later, later became the chairman of WeWork to have to turn WeWork around after they threw this founder Adam out. He's now on the board of SoftBank, on the board of Google, on the board of WeWork, etc. So I diagnosed this classic entrepreneur as having three strong entrepreneurial traits. There's nothing wrong with being ADD. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Most entrepreneurial CEOs are on the spectrum for bipolar disorder, and I'm one of them. Do you or your employees get tired of the chaos that you cause with your crazy random ideas? In this episode, I'll reveal 11 traits of entrepreneurs and the correlations with bipolar. I'll explain why CEOs are just wired differently and there's nothing wrong with us. I'll also walk you through how to navigate the highs and lows of being a CEO and how to ride the entrepreneurial roller coaster. And if you're a COO, you'll finally learn that your CEO isn't crazy and you'll learn how to navigate their roller coaster as well. Please share this episode for sure. Okay, so pretty good show. So I just wanna see how truly entrepreneurial you are. I have to read this list and then I'll put my phone away, I promise. So I'm gonna read a list of 11 traits of entrepreneurs. I want you to count how many of these 11 describe you. As soon as you hear five traits that describe you, I want you to stand up. Are you often filled with energy? And by the way, I will count on my fingers for my 11 as well. Are you often filled with energy? Does your mind get flooded with ideas? Are you driven? Are you restless? Are you unable to keep still? So if you get to five, you can stand. Yeah, you're right there with me. We're classic fuck ups. Um, <laughs> do you often work, and stay standing, do you often work on little sleep? Do you get euphoric? Do you get easily irritated by minor obstacles? Do you burn out periodically? Do you act out sexually, which is like flirting? <laughs> People are standing up on their chair. Um, do you feel persecuted by those who do not accept your vision? So who here has 11 for 11? You're right there with me, 10 out of the 11. Keep your hand up, 10, 11, nine, 10 or 11. So if you have nine, 10 or 11 traits, you would be clinically diagnosed as bipolar. For real, if you have more than five, you're on the spectrum. So you're complete fuck-ups, just like I am. Um, now, what, what's interesting, though, about, about entrepreneurs is we're wired very differently, and there's nothing wrong with us. So I was sitting on a plane from Chicago to Miami, and I got bumped off my prior flight in first class. I'm sitting back in economy in, in an exit row, sitting beside a guy who's even taller than I am. And... Um, we're both like doing work and as we're talking, I noticed that he's very kind of up and down with his emotions and he's very scattered and, um, and he has this nervous tick. And so we're talking and I said, so by the way, you've got really wicked ADD just like me. And he's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, well, cause I just, I know you and you're bipolar as well. And he's like, how do you know I'm bipolar? So I started describing it and he said, he told me he'd been clinically diagnosed as bipolar and he has all of, I have 17 of the 18 signs of ADD. 
My ex-wife said if I was paying attention during testing, it would have been 18 for 18, um, which is probably accurate. And then I also diagnosed him as having Tourette's and the nervous tick is something in Tourette's. We were then talking and, and I said, so, you know, what do you run your business? And he goes, yeah, I've got a business. And I said, what are your revenues like? He's like 700, 800. So I'm like, okay, small business, 700,000, 800,000. I said, how many employees you've got? He's like 17 or 18. I'm like, that math doesn't work. You've got like 18 employees with 700,000 in revenue. He goes, no, 700 million in revenue. <laughs> and I look at him and his name was Marcelo Claret. Marcelo, when I met Marcelo, was running the largest Hispanic-owned company in the United States called Brightstar. Six months later, he sold his company for over a billion dollars to SoftBank. And Marcelo was then appointed as the CEO of Sprint. He later, later became the chairman of WeWork to have to turn WeWork around after they threw this founder's Adam out. He's now on the board of SoftBank, on the board of Google, on the board of WeWork, etc. So I diagnosed this classic entrepreneur as having three strong entrepreneurial traits. There's nothing wrong with being ADD. So there's somebody here, he might even be in the audience who I met at the event who came up to me at the party a couple nights ago and he said, you know, you said you've got really bad ADD. I can help you with that. Stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> I don't want help with my ADD because as an entrepreneur, it's a superpower. The fact that I can see what's happening with the economy, my customers, my suppliers, the market, I can see the problems with my website, I can, I can notice little trends, but because I'm seeing everything, it's so overwhelming to me, I have to delegate them quickly. I don't want to be a doctor, I don't want to be an engineer, I don't want to be a teacher. The bipolar disorder, the mania of bipolar disorder is why people will follow me. It's why they'll invest, it's why they'll quit their job, it's why they will you know, you take on a project that we don't know the ends to. It's why somebody will literally join the company for less money than they were making elsewhere is because we're on that manic fringe and they love that energy. The stress and depression is simply us course correcting because we can't tell our peers, we can't tell our employees how stressed we are. We can't really admit to our leadership team that we're scared at times or that we're screwing things up. We can't admit to our customers that something's going wrong. We can't tell our board. So as the entrepreneur, and sometimes we don't even tell our spouse that we haven't paid ourselves for six months or six weeks or drawn a paycheck or, or paid ourselves back the expenses. When we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I went three months without a paycheck and without submitting expenses because we didn't have the money to pay it. I sure didn't tell my ex-wife that because she would have been freaking out. So Brian and I kind of lived in this little zone of, of stress and depression. So the reason I bring this up is I know entrepreneurs. It's all I know. I kind of feel like a bit of a fraud at Mind Valley because I'm not this heart-centered, meditation, blissed out, even though I live in, like the closest I get is I live in Vancouver part-time, like, right? <laughs> but but I, I, I like it and I want to do it and I want to get better at it and I want to explore it, but you guys are like miles down the road in that for me, but I do know entrepreneurs. So I've been paid to speak to groups of entrepreneurs now in 26 countries on seven continents. All I really know is entrepreneurial leaders. And what I'm going to give to you today are the lessons that I wish I'd known at a younger age. So when I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I decided to journal, which is something that we teach you at Mind Valley. And I started journaling 20 minutes every morning for three and a half months. And while I was journaling, I came up with a lot of these lessons. And these lessons became what I call the letters to my younger self. And they're all in my very first book, Double Double. So they're the last chapter of the book, Double Double. I'm going to give you those lessons today, and then we're going to open it up for Q&A. Now, I know the book Double Double is really good because it's in... <laughs> that is not Photoshopped, for Christ's sake. It's not Photoshopped. 
I know the book is really good because it was in Richard Branson's library on Necker Island. Now, Richard doesn't really read because he's massively dyslexic. That is not Photoshopped. A friend of mine put it there and took the picture, but it's not Photoshopped. <laughs> People are like, oh my God, it's in his library. I'm like, first off, I don't think he can read. He's so massively dyslexic. And secondly, Necker Island was obliterated about five years ago in that massive storm. So that library doesn't even exist anymore, but I will keep showing this picture. All right, so let's go into the letters to my younger self. Now, I can stand up here and talk to you about all my successes, right? How big we grew, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I took them from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years. We went from $2 million to $106 million in revenue in six years. We had no debt. We had no outside shareholders. We gave up no equity. We ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for, blah, 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 blah. What I want to talk to you about today more is the failures and the struggles and hopefully give you some of those lessons from there because that's where a lot of my real strengths came from. So the first one was I was at a cocktail party one night and um, this was around 2007, 2008. I think I just left 1-800-GOT-JUNK or was just in the, in the process of probably leaving. And one of the women who worked for me, Jillian, came up to me and she said, you know, you're really fucking boring. And I was like, really? And she goes, all you talk about is work. You have no other passions, no other hobbies. All you talk about is work. And she was right. The weird thing was, Brian, my best friend, who we'd built the company with for six and a half years later, I didn't find out until two years after I'd left that Brian liked to ski. My best friend, he was my best man at my wedding, and all we ever talked about was work, and I didn't know he liked to ski. I've skied in the Canadian American Championships twice. Skiing was a massive passion of mine, and we never talked about skiing for six and a half years. That's kind of messed up because I was so out of balance. So what that taught me was no one actually gives a shit about what you do for work. Now imagine this for a second. Like, let's say you're in a fun industry, right? You teach sex. That's cool. But if you're at a cocktail party and you just can't want to keep talking about that, it starts getting a little awkward for everybody at some point, unless you're at some of the fun parties like Burning Man. But if you're at the party, you don't want to hear what the accountant does for an hour. You don't want to hear what the lawyer does for an hour. You don't want to hear the doctor talking about surgery. Like so many of these jobs and professions are so boring. We don't want to hear about them. What makes you think they want to hear about your business? What made me think that they wanted to hear about mine? So I had to really learn that. And that's why now people will come up to me and they'll say, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I go to Burning Man. I like skiing. I travel all over the world. No, no. Like, what do you do to make money? Oh yeah. I, I really don't talk about that. Have you been to Burning Man? And I just kind of fuck with them a little bit. Because I really don't like talking about what I do for work. I, I kind of, I kind of, when I'm working, I'm on. And when I'm off, I'm off. And I really want to talk about my passions and my fears and my insecurities and my bucket list. And, and that's what I want to know about you. Like, I really don't care what you do to make money, but I want to know what your passions are. I want to know what your bucket list is. There's somebody in this audience that I'm completely fascinated with because I met him on the first day. Nate, it's Nate, right? Dude, you blew my fucking mind. You're a good dude. And your smile is your superpower. And I'm going to get to know you. Because I want to know, know who you are. I don't give a shit what you do to make money. I don't even really care what your old business was that your partner pushed you out of and you lost some money on, whatever. Or took, you took your money. I want to know you. Because when everybody else knows you, that's when everything grows. I learned that balance is key, but there's no way to be balanced. You can't keep your friends and your family and your faith and your fitness and your spirituality and everything perfectly in balance all the time. It's impossible. Especially if you're a woman who's trying to like be a spouse and a lover and a best friend and a mom. Like, are you fucking and run a company? Are you kidding? Of course, you're not going to get that shit perfect every single day. So what I think balance is, is a bunch of this. 
So what I try to do is find the eight areas of my life that I'm working on and I pick two areas and I go really, really deep in those two areas for about a month or so. And then for the next month, I pick two other areas and I go really deep on those. So last week when I was at Mind Valley, I only came to two sessions because I was really, really focused on two things, my business and my wife. And this week, I've been spending more time at Mind Valley, coming here, working here, networking here, going for lunches with people, going for coffee, showing up first thing in the morning, going to the parties at night, kind of ignoring my wife a little bit. But this is like Mind Valley week for me. And then next week when we go to Sweden, I'll recalibrate a little bit. But because there's no way, for, like I would feel too stressed out trying to be everything to everybody all the time. So I give myself a little bit of a break when I'm not quite in balance because I realize the balance is more of a a teeter-totter or a balance board, that's what balance is for me. I also learned that when I show up at the end of the day, my ex-wife used to say that she was getting leftovers. Not for dinner, I was leftovers. I was coming back with no energy because I'd given everything at the office and then I showed up back at the home and I didn't have any good energy to bring into the relationships with my kids and my spouse. So I had to learn some kind of a way to, to keep my business in a box and, and close it. So when I used to work at a physical office, I would shut my laptop and I would leave. And I realized when I was doing that, that I couldn't take my laptop home with me at night because I wasn't going to catch up anyway. You're not going to get your list done, right? Anybody here who here works at nights to catch up? Have you ever caught up? No. So stop fucking doing it because all you're doing is lying to yourself. I'm going to catch up. So I'll work this weekend. No, you're just working this weekend and you're avoiding the pain or relationships or something else that isn't going well in your life. You're using work as the dopamine rush to fill the voids of everything else. So what I learned is close the laptop and go home. I've worked from home for the last 15 and a half years. So now what I do is I never work nights. I will allow myself to work one night per month maximum, but every other day of the week I'm done at 5.30. And I haven't worked a Saturday or a Sunday in probably a decade. I've said no to speaking events that want me to travel now because I just don't want to. So I'll turn down, I get paid $40,000 for a keynote plus business class travel. I say no to that all the time because I'd rather do it over Zoom. So I have no commute. You can't get me to do the wrong things anymore because it allows me to keep my problems at work. I also had something happen back in, um, this was October of 2000. We were running a big internet company. And um, if everyone remembers March of 2000, we just sold our company for 64 million. So March of 2000, that was a lot of money to sell for. And it was March 15th, we were public. The company that was acquiring us was public. And uh, I think we, we sold like March 10th. And March 15th, Steve Ballmer stood up from Microsoft and said there was an internet bubble. And we're like, no, don't, don't, don't tell people. And then the stock market started to crash. And our stock, it needed three months for the transaction to close. By the time it closed, our $64 million valuation was worth 3.8. Our stock went from $24.65, it was called network commerce, we went from $24.65 down to about $3. And I'd gotten married and I realized on the wedding day I wasn't in love. And a month after the wedding, my wife conceived. I was stressed. So a friend of mine tapped me on the shoulder in the elevator one day and he said, are you okay? And I collapsed on the floor of the elevator, sobbing and shaking, and I was having a nervous breakdown. Three weeks later, I went to the doctor to get a routine medical for a physical that I needed to get insurance for a house that we were buying. And the doctor said, how are you feeling? I'm like, pretty good. I've got this kind of a weird metallic taste at the back of my neck. Has anybody ever had that? Like, it's this weird, I, I call it a taste, but it's not so much a taste as like a feeling. It's like your neck is kind of tight at the back and right. Who's had that feeling or put your hand up, I'll bunch of you. So I'm kind of describing what this feels like, right? Like this weird 
thing, taste something. And he goes, well, what's going on in your life? I said, well, my, my wife is pregnant and I just quit my job and we lost 64 million. So, you know, my 3 million is worth about 140 and I'm moving from Seattle back to Canada. And my mom is terminal with stage 3B uh, colon cancer. My wife's quitting her job, but we just bought a house. So that's kind of cool. I'm getting my first mortgage. And the doctor's looking at me and he goes, that medical or that taste at the back of your neck is actually a chemical secretion being caused by stress. So we did this test that they give you and you have to fill out all these questions and they give you points. And if you get like 150 points, you have a 50% chance of a heart attack. If you get like 250 points, you have a 90% chance of a heart attack. I had 435 points. It's the only test I've ever scored really high in. <laughs> I was clinically redlining. I was clinically redlining. Um, I could show you a photo. I should actually put this photo into my slides. This morning when I weighed, I, I carry a scale in my backpack. So we've sold everything and we literally travel with a backpack. In my backpack, I travel with this little flat scale because I weigh myself every morning. When I woke up that morning back in October 2000, I weighed 222 pounds. This morning I weighed 180.0. Some of that's because you didn't serve me food last night. <laughs> no, but like, but you don't lose 42 pounds because of dinner. You, you lose 42 pounds because life all of a sudden gets better and you learn how to reduce stress. So I started running, I started doing yoga, I started doing some meditation, I started talking to people honestly, like when somebody said, how are you? I didn't say I'm good. Like, I don't actually say I'm good unless I'm good. Sometimes I'm like, actually, I'm having a shitty day and you'll probably not want to hear about it, but you fucking ask, so I'm going to tell you. Because I like getting the stress out of my body that way, right? So I had to learn to reduce stress in really healthy ways. I learned that having a drink is okay, but starting every meal because this was at the height of the internet and we were really successful and we were all really stressed. I lived across the street from the office. We would get to the office at seven. I'd work till 7 p.m. Growing, we had 900 employees at the time. The CEO and I would like go for dinner and I would start my dinner with two Manhattans. He would start his with two dirty martinis. And then we would have a bottle of wine, maybe two bottles of wine, because we could each put down a bottle, no problem. And then we'd finish our dinner with Grand Marnier. That was five days a week. And then I would drive home to Vancouver on the weekend. I was living two and a half hours away. And I'd spend two, two days with my wife and I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning on Monday and drive back to Seattle and do it again. And I thought I was managing stress perfectly. So I realized that having one drink is okay, but having dinners like that, it ain't okay, right? Smoking a joint is okay, especially now, especially if you're in Vancouver. Smoking seven of them a day, probably not a good idea. Doing yoga once in a while is good. Doing yoga seven days a week, for two hours and avoiding your friends and family, probably not so good, right? So it's, it's kind of that all things in moderation except McDonald's. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.